0: The sky was crystal clear. Every single star shined bright, creating a dotted canvas of space and stardust. Outside of the city, light pollution dwindled to zero. Every star in the sky was beautifully visible.
1: It was 1960, three years after the unmanned Soviet vessel Sputnik had successfully become the world's first artificial satellite. Space was on everyone's minds. The thought that in any given time a man-made satellite might be flying overhead instilled awe and terror across the world.
0: But the brothers, Achille and Giovanni Battista Iudica Cordiglia, weren't enamored with the majestic sight above. They were huddled together, hunched over the mishmash of wires and circuits they had spent the better
1: part of a night cobbling together. They'd stripped anything useful they could find from the dusty, ancient radio equipment and set about their task, listening to the stars. Achille and Giovanni Utica Cordiglia didn't have
0: any grand ideas about their task. They knew that at best, they would just be able to listen in on computerized radio transmissions between the robotic satellites and the Soviet Ground Command.
1: They weren't prepared for what they heard,
0: though. A series of beeps rhythmic and intentional Morse
1: code. They deciphered quickly. It was an SOS call. Someone was in space and they needed help.
0: Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Welcome to Gone, a Parcast Original.
1: Every other Monday, we examine mysterious disappearances and the theories they spawned, from the Amber Room to Michael Rockefeller, Picasso paintings to the Etruscan language, the Roanoke Colony to the lost Russian cosmonauts. If it's gone, we're
0: looking for it. Today, we'll be looking into the mystery of the lost cosmonauts, the Russian astronauts who were allegedly abandoned in space during failed Soviet missions in the space race.
1: You can find all previous episodes of Gone as well as all of Parcast's other shows on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. It's conventionally assumed that Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin was the first human to ever travel to space on his historic flight in April of 1961.
0: But for as long as mankind has been venturing into the dark void of space, there has been an unconfirmed
1: theory that this honor belongs to someone else. Allegedly, the Soviet Union experimented with sending people to space as early as the 1950s.
0: These missions failed and the cosmonauts either died
1: in crashes or were lost in space. To prevent embarrassment, the Soviet Union covered up these failures until Gagarin successfully flew into space and returned to Earth alive.
0: The USSR then presented Gagarin as the first man to ever travel to space, and in doing so, tried to erase a legacy of failure and death, erasing the sacrifices of other cosmonauts from the annals of history. What else could the USSR have been hiding?
1: Did a cosmonaut really venture into space prior to 1961? If so, who was it? And what happened to them? Are the corpses
0: of abandoned, forgotten cosmonauts still drifting through the cosmos, never to be
1: found? For the purpose of this episode, we're going to dive into the history of the space race between the Soviet Union and the United States. One
0: of two things is possible in this story. The lost cosmonauts either exist or they don't.
1: This is a binary mystery. The specific conspiracy theory asserts that, on at least one occasion in the 1960s, Russian cosmonauts attempted a mission to space that went terribly, terribly wrong. These cosmonauts were left stranded in space, adrift, low on oxygen, as their country scrambled to erase all record of their existence. The broader story alleges a wider
0: pattern of cosmic cover-ups by the Soviet Union. We know for sure that the USSR failed to disclose, or otherwise hid, the details about cosmonauts who died in training accidents. Could they have been hiding similar deaths that were much more scandalous?
1: During World War II, the allied U.S. and USSR were both concerned and fascinated with the work of key Nazi scientists, specifically in the field of ballistic missile technology.
0: This technology was seen as vital to the development of long-range nuclear missiles.
1: You know, the kind that would wipe out all of humanity if either side got too antsy?
0: But the ballistic missile technology had another use that was evident to both sides.
1: That technology was the key to launching rockets into space. Additionally, the new advent of atomic weapons ensured that a face-to-face war would result in nothing less than total global nuclear annihilation. And so, the Cold War needed to be fought on other fronts. This was a war of intelligence, a war of ideology, and most importantly, a war of technology.
0: The United States and the Soviet Union were making moves against one another before World War II had even ended. Both sides scrambled to recruit or kidnap key Nazi scientists to put them to work
1: preparing for the next great war. America got famous German scientist Werner von Braun as part of Operation Paperclip. But the Soviets got their fair share of Nazi scientists to add to their own significant scientific community.
0: The race to extradite Nazi scientists before the war even ended just served as a precursor to the bigger conflict that would come to define the second half of the 20th century. Following the conclusion of World War II, the world was divided into two major superpowers, East and West, the U.S., and the USSR.
1: From the outset, the technological focus of the Cold War was concerned with military weapons.
0: But the race to establish technological dominance was widespread, and both sides soon turned to space as a sort of finish line to rush toward.
1: Space was kind of the ideal, distant goal. It was, to use the old cliché, the final frontier, the last known horizon that mankind had not explored.
0: Given that the U.S. and the USSR were instigating proxy wars and carving up the globe, it kind of makes sense that they would both be looking to space as unclaimed land that was just waiting for whoever got there first.
1: There were also intelligence benefits to space— By the 1950s, both sides of the Iron Curtain had the ability to identify and shoot down each other's high-altitude spy planes.
0: But a spy satellite in space
1: was much more difficult to track and shoot down. Additionally, space was key to the effective delivery of nuclear missiles. Launching a
0: ballistic nuclear missile into space would both shorten the amount of time it would take to reach its target and make it more difficult for enemy radars to pick up the incoming
1: payload. But more important than all of that, space was seen as the ultimate ideological win. Whichever side could get there first was the better one in the eyes of the global population.
0: All of this is to say that in the mission to get into space, the US and the USSR were putting immense pressure on their scientific communities. That pressure may have led the leadership of the Soviet Union to put their pilots at risk in missions that they weren't ready for.
1: The other thing to consider is that without the competition between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, it's not a guarantee that we would have made it to space or the moon as fast as we did. The natural
0: first step in the space race was successfully launching an unmanned craft into the atmosphere, guiding it to move in an orbit around the Earth. In July of 1955, the United States announced to the world its intention to launch the first man-made satellites into space. Four days later, the Soviet Union responded that it too would be investing in space
1: technology. It's somewhat ironic that both proposals were part of the International Geophysical Year, an initiative that was designed to increase cooperation between the scientists on both sides of the Iron Curtain.
0: In this case, a mandate to cooperate actually led to a decades-long ideological and technological race.
1: Talk about unhealthy competition.
0: The Soviet Union won the first victory in this race on October fourth. 1957, when they launched Sputnik 1 into Earth's orbit. It was the first artificial Earth satellite ever to be successfully launched into space.
1: Now, one notable and often forgotten thing about Sputnik was the satellite's ultimate fate. The Soviets succeeded in launching Sputnik, but they had no plan for successfully retrieving it.
0: The famed satellite orbited the Earth for three weeks before it ran out of power, and then it continued to float lifelessly around the Earth for another two months before it finally crashed back to Earth.
1: That lack of knowledge about how to safely bring a spacecraft back down to Earth was something both sides were going to have to contend with if they were going to successfully launch a man into space.
0: The publicity around Sputnik's launch actually triggered a period known in America as the Sputnik Crisis. It was for many the first time that the possibility of Soviet superiority had been considered.
1: The launch of Sputnik actually directly led to the creation of NASA in the United States, with the mission to focus heavily on space technology and exploration.
0: One thing to note here about the success of Sputnik was how definitive a victory it was over the United States.
1: During the Cold War, the USSR functioned as a closed-off police state. They maintained tight control over the information that moved in and out of the country— Because outsiders couldn't have a full sense of what was going on behind the Iron Curtain, Soviet leadership could make whatever claims they wanted to about how they were beating the West in the race toward global superiority. They didn't have to actually offer anything to back this claim up.
0: But Sputnik was different. As it soared across the sky, it felt like an achievement for all of mankind that transcended national boundaries.
1: Every radar and radio tech in America could pick up on Sputnik's signals and verify it was there. No words could capture the effect of seeing another nation's technology pass by overhead.
0: While the United States was scrambling to catch up to the Soviet satellite technology, the USSR reached another milestone.
1: On April 12, 1961, 27-year-old Yuri Gagarin boarded a Vostok 1 spacecraft that launched from a facility in southern Kazakhstan.
0: Gagarin's suborbital launch was successful, and after 108 minutes of flying around the planet, he re-entered the atmosphere. In doing so, he became the first man to ever orbit the Earth from space.
1: Gagarin returned to his home country a hero, both to the Soviet Union and to the world at large. Despite the divisions of the Cold War, it was impossible for most people to not marvel at his accomplishment.
0: To this day, Gagarin is credited as the first man to go to space.
1: But what if there was someone else? What if Gagarin was just the first man to go to space and return alive? What if, before Gagarin's flight, the Soviet Union had sent other cosmonauts into space only to see them tragically perish? Next, we'll
0: dive into the rise of contrary theories about the space race and discuss the potential fates of the lost Russian cosmonauts.
1: Now, back to the story.
0: The official history of mankind's exploration of space holds that Yuri Gagarin was the first man to successfully travel to space and return to the Earth.
1: But, given that we're dealing with the stoic and secretive Soviet Union, there are naturally conspiracy theories that state the contrary.
0: The thing to note here, before we dive into these theories, is this. Most of the main evidence behind the lost cosmonaut theory doesn't have a lot of material to support it. Taken by themselves, these claims
1: are fishy at best. It's when you consider the fact that different sources with no obvious link to one another all came together to corroborate certain stories about the lost Russian cosmonauts that things get interesting.
0: The earliest evidence that cosmonauts died in attempts to reach space prior to Gagarin's
1: successful mission came in 1959. In that year, a number of unsourced articles were published alleging that the Soviets had been trying and failing to launch men into space and that some cosmonauts had perished in the attempt.
0: One newspaper article dated from December of 1959 cites Hermann Obert, a former Nazi scientist who was living in America and working for the U.S. military during that time.
1: Obert claimed that in 1957 and 1958, the Soviets had launched a number of attempted suborbital rockets into space and that at least four cosmonauts died in these botched missions.
0: He cited reports which were allegedly leaked by unnamed high-ranking members of the Communist Party, though the articles reporting on his claims do not provide further details about these reports.
1: Generally, this isn't the strongest evidence, but the claims that Obert and other scientists made stuck in the minds of the American public for a few reasons.
0: First, the launch of Sputnik in 1957 had, as we've said, a rather devastating effect on the American psyche. Because the Soviets had beaten the Americans in launching an unmanned satellite into space, there was a time where the climate of fear made it seem like the USSR could accomplish anything, even launch a man into space.
1: Additionally, Obert claimed in the article that the Russians had rocket technology that was capable of launching men into space.
0: Naturally, he proved to be right two years later when Gagarin completed his mission. This led to a revisiting of Obert's claims and raised the question of what else could he have been right about?
1: 1960 was when the evidence for the lost cosmonauts really started to pile up. One of the major supporting accounts came from Robert Heinlein. Born in 1907,
0: Robert Heinlein was an American science fiction author who rose to prominence alongside other major staples of the genre, including Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke.
1: Heinlein had started out his literary career as a journalist. In 1960, he and his wife visited Lithuania, which at the time was part of the Soviet-controlled USSR.
0: As Heinlein tells it, on May 15, 1960, he and his wife encountered a platoon of Russian cadets and struck up a conversation with one of them.
1: According to the unnamed cadet, there had been a rocket launch that very same day.
0: More, the rocket was a spaceship, and most astoundingly it carried a human pilot.
1: If this was true, then it would mean that the ship in the story had just carried the first man ever to go to space, 11 months before Gagarin's fateful voyage. Heinlein
0: and his wife had a guide who was charged with showing them around the country and, likely given that this was the Soviet Union, making sure that they only saw what they were supposed to see.
1: According to Heinlein, the guide confronted them later and assured them that the cadet had been mistaken. Yes, there had been a rocket launch earlier that day, but no, it had not been piloted by a human operator. The cadet must have mistaken the dummy pilot for a real person.
0: Heinlein, who, as we said, was a former journalist, didn't buy it. The backtracking seemed fishy to him, and he returned to America convinced that the cadet had been telling the truth.
1: There are certain historical facts that would seem to corroborate part of Heinlein's story. There was a launch on May 15, 1960. It was the Sputnik 4, which, incidentally, was the first launch in the Vostok program, the same spaceflight program that would eventually put Yuri Gagarin in space. The purpose of the launch was reportedly to test the capabilities
0: of the rocket technology before eventually leading to human-led missions.
1: Now, this particular rocket experienced a technical malfunction and was unable to return to Earth.
0: When he got back to the United States, Heinlein wrote an article titled, Pravda Means Truth, in which he speculated that the rocket was manned and that the Soviets had abandoned one of their cosmonauts
1: in space rather than admit their own failure. It would seem that this theory would be quite easy to verify, given that parts of the rocket did eventually re-enter the Earth's atmosphere in September of 1962. The remnants of the
0: ship even crashed in America, in Manitowoc, Wisconsin.
1: But on examination, it seemed that the recovered pieces were just parts of the descent module, not the actual capsule itself. The bulk of the capsule
0: and the cosmonaut inside it, it seems, was lost to space, bound for the unknown.
1: This image is the broadest summary of the lost Russian cosmonauts' conspiracy. There was an unknown number of cosmonauts who were launched into space during the 1960s. There was some kind of malfunction. The cosmonauts couldn't return to Earth, and the Soviet Union abandoned them up there.
0: While the real story may not be quite so dramatic, people at that time did start to come around to the strange goings-on in the space
1: race. The 1960s provided more potential evidence that something was going on in the skies above.
0: Arguably the biggest piece of evidence that the lost cosmonauts actually exist are the recordings published by the brothers Giovanni and Achille Utica Cordiglia.
1: Achille and Giovanni were Italian amateur radio enthusiasts who achieved a level of fame after they began to pick up transmissions that they would later claim came from cosmonauts stranded in outer space.
0: Following the successful launch of Sputnik in 1957, people all over the world began to develop an interest in trying to pick up signals from space using radio equipment.
1: The brothers were one such pair. Beginning in 1957, Achille and Giovanni, aged 24 and 18 respectively, began traveling outside their native Turin, Italy, to an abandoned World War II bunker. There, they set about building their own makeshift satellite monitoring station.
0: That station, which was called Torre Bert, was an impressive feat in its own right. The brothers filled the vacant bunker with a mishmash of cobbled-together gear, most of it secondhand or makeshift. They even learned how to track Russian frequencies and get a better bead on potential satellites.
1: As the brothers tell it, they uncovered much more than just satellites.
0: In the first of a series of recordings that the brothers published in May of 1960, Achille and Giovanni reported that they had stumbled onto a transmission of a manned spacecraft that was going off course.
1: This would be in line with the May 15th flight that Heinlein also asserted carried a man.
0: What had once been a theory now had a corroborating account. And Achille and Giovanni were just getting
1: started. Over the next four years, the brothers reported eight more recordings that they claimed to have intercepted in Torre Burt. Arguably the
0: most famous of these is their second transmission, reported on November 28, 1960, which features an SOS message in Morse code.
1: Two recordings followed over the course of 1961. One recorded the sound of a cosmonaut suffocating to death inside their capsule as they tried to radio for help. The fourth was of a successful launch that seemed to land back on Earth.
0: Another one of the key recordings that the brothers reported occurred in November of 1963.
1: This is actually the only audio that we have an apparent copy of today.
0: The recording features a woman who grows increasingly distressed as she seems to overheat in her capsule.
1: The speaker said in Russian, Listen. Listen. Come in. Talk to me. I am hot. I am hot. Breathing. Oxygen. Isn't this dangerous? The recordings
0: seem to depict the cosmonauts' final moments before she burned up in her vessel.
1: It's unclear when exactly the brothers published these recordings, whether they announced them as they arrived, or if they waited until 1964 to reveal their findings.
0: But what is known is that once Achille and Giovanni
1: started talking, they became minor celebrities in their own right. They were written up by Reader's Digest a number of times, and Torrey Burt soon became a high-profile destination for other radio enthusiasts. The
0: brothers even competed on a game show in 1964 and used their winnings to travel to America and tour the various NASA facilities.
1: Much has been made of the brothers' findings, but when you look into the evidence, you might find that the actual recordings, or even transcripts of these recordings, are difficult to come by.
0: And yet, entire websites and other conspiracy theory forums have used the brothers' report as the entire basis for
1: theories about lost Russian cosmonauts. Regardless of the fact that these recordings are unsourced, only exist in transcript form, or otherwise don't clearly show a direct link to any known cosmonaut missions.
0: All of this corroborating evidence is just too strange and specific to ignore outright.
1: Something clearly was going on behind the closed doors of the Soviet space program. Could cosmonauts have really been abandoned in space?
0: What if there are cosmonauts who are lost to history, but not to the cosmic void of space?
1: When we come back, we'll look into all the discrepancies in these theories and determine what we really believe about the lost Russian cosmonauts.
0: Now back to the story. The urban legend of the lost Russian cosmonauts that became popular in the 1960s asserts that the Soviet Union launched secret missions to space that failed and left the cosmonauts stranded. Those cosmonauts died of suffocation as their vessels soared out into the
1: cosmos, never to return. So, are there corpses of Russian cosmonauts barreling through space after being abandoned by Mother Russia?
0: The first bit of substantial evidence to consider is the story of Vladimir Ilyushin. The theory of the lost Russian cosmonauts often mentions Vladimir as a possible contender for the actual first man to venture into outer space.
1: According to this theory, Vladimir launched into space on April 7, 1961, five full days before Yuri Gagarin's historic flight.
0: Now, the Utica-Cordiglia brothers did report picking up readings of a flight around that time, though the lack of a specific date indicates they could have been reading data from Yuri
1: Gagarin's flight during that same month. There is naturally already a discrepancy here. How could Vladimir be the first man in space if the Utica-Cordiglia brothers were supposedly picking up cosmonaut transmissions a full year prior?
0: It's possible that some, but not all, of the brothers' recordings were misidentified, or perhaps everything they had gathered up to that point had actually been taken from flight tests and not actual space-bound missions.
1: Regardless, the reason that the world doesn't know Vladimir Ilyushin's name is because, as the story goes... His flight experienced some kind of technical malfunction, which required a forced landing earlier than expected.
0: As a result, the spaceship landed in China rather than Russia, and Vladimir Ilyushin was taken captive.
1: The Soviet Union now knew they had the capability to send someone to space but they wanted their first man to be seen as successful. So they quickly scrambled to put together another mission, Gagarin's mission, in order to present their space expedition as a success.
0: Naturally, this may raise the question as to how Vladimir first got embroiled in the story.
1: Well, for reasons that aren't quite clear, Vladimir was treated in China following a car accident in which he seriously injured his legs. Vladimir was
0: known as an ace pilot, and it was seen as odd that he wasn't publicly part of the Soviet cosmonaut program.
1: Dennis Ogden, a British journalist who frequently corresponded with Moscow, was the first person to posit that Vladimir was somehow involved in the space program.
0: Ogden saw Vladimir's treatment as a cover-up for an actual period of imprisonment.
1: Again, this may seem like a kind of out-there assertion with little to back it up, besides the coincidental evidence.
0: Except, as was the case with Heinlein's theory, this one also has corroborating statements.
1: A Russian author named Leonid Vladimirov, who defected to Britain and made a career of writing about Russia's role in the Cold War, wrote at length about the Vladimir Ilyushin theory in 1973. He not only claimed that it was Vladimir who flew before Gagarin, but also that Vladimir and Ogden had been neighbors in Moscow, and that Ogden was, for all intents and purposes, trustworthy in the matter.
0: For his own part, however, Vladimir Ilyushin denied that his visit to China had been anything but medical in its origin, and he went to his grave backing up the common story that Yuri Gagarin was the first man in space.
1: Now it's definitely worth noting here that the Soviet police state kept its citizens in a constant state of panic and used fear to keep the people under control. They may have threatened Vladimir and encouraged his public rejection of the theory.
0: But Vladimir Ilyushin died in 2010, 21 years after the fall of the Soviet Union.
1: If he really was repeating a lie, why would he continue to do so after there was no more Soviet government to pressure him?
0: Furthermore, although China and Russia were both communist nations during this time, they weren't exactly friendly with one another.
1: There's not a lot of reasoning behind the theory of why China would keep it a secret if they had actually intercepted and imprisoned a downed Soviet cosmonaut. On the contrary, it would seem much more feasible that China would broadcast to the world that it had Vladimir captive.
0: Vladimir Ilyushin's story does scrape at the surface of what really may be behind this long-gestating rumor of the lost Russian cosmonauts.
1: The theory of the lost Russian cosmonauts is generally concerned with the unconfirmed hypothesis that the Soviet Union abandoned its pilots in space.
0: But the real lost cosmonauts may have died and been erased from history on the ground.
1: The Soviet Union lost dozens, if not hundreds, of men in the space race. The Soviet government covered these deaths up. Could it be possible that, as we've considered whether cosmonauts really were lost to space, we've neglected the real story of the Soviet men and women who died in the service of the Soviet space program? Could these be the real-life lost cosmonauts?
0: Let's look at just some of the examples of actual tragedies we know befell Russian cosmonauts.
1: Throughout the space race, the Soviet government deliberately failed to report accidents or fatalities that occurred during tests or missions. In one
0: particularly brutal case in 1960, a rocket ignited prematurely during a test flight. 78 engineers and ground crew
1: were killed. The Soviet government did not disclose the incident to the rest of the world, and we only learned about it decades later, after the fall of the Iron Curtain and the dissemination of Cold War files to the West in the 1990s. On July 3,
0: 1969, the Soviet Union rushed to launch a manned craft to the moon, even though top engineers involved in the project knew it wasn't ready the craft exploded on the launch pad and killed the cosmonauts on board.
1: By the end of that month, Neil Armstrong and his crew of the Apollo 11 mission successfully reached the lunar surface and became the first humans to ever walk on the moon. I'm going to step off the land
0: now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. The space race essentially peaked with this historic moment, and the Soviets all but abandoned further attempts to reach the moon. They were so ashamed at failing to beat the Americans that they began to reorient their entire space program.
1: The vanished cosmonauts that we definitely know about didn't die in space. They perished in accidents on the ground as they were preparing for space missions. One of the best examples of these vanished cosmonauts is Valentin Bondaryenko. Born in
0: 1937, Valentin Bondaryenko was a pilot who first enrolled in the cosmonaut program in 1960, just a year before Yuri Gagarin
1: made it to space. Valentin was an ace pilot who reached the rank of senior lieutenant in the Soviet Air Force when he was just 22. He was among the first pilots to ever be selected for the cosmonaut program.
0: As one of the shining examples of the best and the brightest the Soviet Union had to offer the world, Valentin's picture was broadcast across the Soviet Union.
1: Until, one day, he stopped appearing in the pictures. In
0: the spring of 1961, Valentin vanished from any and all pictures of the group of Russian cosmonauts who were preparing for the first space missions.
1: As people started to notice this, naturally, assumptions were made that Valentin had died in some kind of secret failed space mission.
0: Well, he did die, but not in the way many people think.
1: Valentin perished from third-degree burns after being trapped in an oxygen fire in March of 1961.
0: As part of an endurance experiment, Valentine spent over two weeks in a low-pressure altitude chamber. A cotton ball soaked in rubbing alcohol came into contact with a hot plate and sparked a fire that ignited the entire oxygen-rich room.
1: By the time they got Valentine out of there, his entire body was covered in burns. He died the next day from his injuries.
0: The Soviet Union did not broadcast Valentin's death. He was not mentioned in subsequent publications about the cosmonauts' mission, and some people in the Soviet government actually attempted to airbrush him out of existing photos.
1: Naturally, people caught on to this and even found other instances in which official photographs had been altered to remove certain people.
0: This is actually the crux of the entire conspiracy theory behind these lost cosmonauts. They died in accidents which were deemed embarrassing for the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union then covered up their deaths to save itself from embarrassment. People like Robert Heinlein or the Utica-Cordiglia brothers then capitalized on that gap between the acknowledgment of the disappearances and the lack of details to declare that these people had secretly gone to space.
1: We've spoken about how the Utica Cordiglia brothers and their recordings are among the biggest proof that this theory holds weight.
0: But in the half-century since the brothers
1: gained fame for their findings,
0: there have been doubts cast on their reports.
1: None of the recordings really hold weight when considering the protocols that real cosmonauts would have undertaken.
0: The grammar in all of the described transcripts is noticeably poor, in stark contrast to the refined verbiage that the highly educated cosmonauts would have used.
1: There are other noticeable discrepancies in the audio, specifically in reference to the ships or ground command, that do not match the language that was standard for trained astronauts in the cosmonaut program.
0: It is frustratingly impossible to state that the lost cosmonaut theory isn't true.
1: So much went on behind the Iron Curtain that we simply don't know about.
0: But at the same time, Russia has gone on to take the blame for deaths of men like Valentin Bondurjenko and the cover-up of what really happened to them.
1: Does it then stand to reason that Russia would have no reason for not disclosing any cosmonauts who made it to space that we don't know about?
0: The theory of the lost Russian cosmonauts is so pervasive that in the end, it may not matter whether it's actually real or not. The legend has made such a stamp in popular culture that it has taken on a life of its own, regardless of whether its origins are rooted in the truth.
1: Taking in all this evidence, we believe that Yuri Gagarin was the first man to fly into space.
0: Moreover, there are likely no manned missions to space that we don't know about.
1: But the loss of these cosmonauts is no less tragic just because they happened on the ground and not in the sky above.
0: All of this is to say that these cosmonauts were lost, just not in space. Thanks again for tuning in to Gone. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode.
1: You can find all previous episodes of Gone, as well as all of Parcast's other shows on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts.
0: Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best
1: way to help is
0: to leave a five-star review.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: Just because it's gone doesn't mean it can't be found. Gone was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by David Turk, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Liebeskind, Maggie Admire, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Gone was written by Colin McLaughlin, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.